Happy Mother's Day. Over the past few weeks, we've been looking at the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, to rediscover your mission, my mission, our mission. And in the book of Acts chapter 1, before Christ ascends into heaven, he says to his followers, you will be my witnesses. And so according to Christ, your mission, your purpose as a Christian is to be Christ's witnesses. That means to know Christ personally and to show Christ to others. And this week, as has been our custom, we are identifying one way the first church became Christ's witnesses so that you and I can follow in their footsteps. And today, week three is all about fellowship. Say that word with me, fellowship. Yes, it is a old church word. It is a biblical word. And so we're going to begin exploring what fellowship is by reading from Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 47. Those who accepted his message were baptized. About 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. How many of you are birthday people? You can't wait for your own birthday. You get excited about celebrating other people's birthday. My wife is a birthday person, and I quickly learned in our marriage, even though I am not a birthday person, we had to celebrate my birthday. And this is what birthday people do. They celebrate your birthday even if you're not a birthday person. And I want to say to all of those of you who are birthday people, Acts chapter 2 is for you. Because in Acts chapter 2, we get an account of the church's birthday. Acts chapter 2 is all about the day the church was born. And she was born about 2,000 years ago on the day of Pentecost. Shh, don't tell her, but she's getting quite old. The church has a birthday, and on the morning of the church's first birthday, there were 120 Christians across the entire planet. As Christians, we were endangered species. I can tell you, between our first service and our second service, there are over, well over, 120 people gathered. The first church was less than those who gathered here at First Presbyterian Church today. And they were all together gathered in one place in the city of Jerusalem. And God, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, 
the third member of the Trinity descends upon the first church and incredibly, miraculously empowered by the Holy Spirit, they speak about God in languages that were foreign to them. They're, they're proclaiming the wonders of God in languages they had never learned or studied or previously spoken. And as a result, thousands of people came to see what was happening. And these 120 Christians are surrounded by thousands of people. And the Apostle Peter stands up in the midst of them and he preaches his very first sermon. And it was really an incredible response, a miraculous response. Throughout Peter's ministry, we don't really have record of any response quite like the response to this sermon on the church's first birthday. 3,000 people accepted the message of the gospel. The, the one who was crucified, Jesus of Nazareth, is Lord and Savior. The, the Bible says that they repented. And, and we often think of repentance as finger pointing and harsh words and judgment. Repent! But I imagine with this repentance, they, they came to see their sin. They came to see how they were broken by their sin. And so perhaps there were thousands of people who were crying and crying out to God for mercy because they were sorry for their sins. And 3,000 people who believed and repented were baptized. That's a lot of work. 120 people baptized 3,000 people for the forgiveness of their sins in the name of Jesus Christ. And those 3,000 people received the gift of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that wonderful? Uh, on the church's birthday, everybody gets a present, and the gift is the Holy Spirit. And so now they have the power of the Holy Spirit empowering them to follow Jesus Christ. And the church, this is incredible church growth, the church went from 120 to 3,120 baptized believers empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now, who are these newly baptized believers who have been empowered by the Holy Spirit? What you're going to see is that the church is the most diverse and inclusive group on the entire planet. And, and this is before diversity and inclusion was emphasized, normalized, or celebrated. Here's what Acts 2 chapter 5 tells us about these first Christians, about the first church. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. This is a very international crowd. The first church is an international crowd. In Acts 2, verses 9 through 11 tells us they were Parthians, Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. Who does God welcome into his church? Who does God adopt into his family? Who does God draw into his kingdom? We see it from the very beginning of the church. All people. Every ethnicity, every race, 
every language or tongue, every education level, every class, every nationality, every ethnicity is wanted by God. And the reason that the church is so diverse and inclusive is because, as we know, God the Father so loved the world, God the Father so loved all the people that God sent his only son that whosoever believes shall not perish but have eternal life. This is what makes Christianity different and made Christianity different 2,000 years ago. Jesus Christ came to accomplish salvation for all people. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven includes every tribe, nation, and tongue. And they're all different. They're all different, but they have one thing in common. And because they have this one thing in common, these people who are so, so different, so diverse, become one. Here's how the Apostle Paul puts it in Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 through 28. So, in Christ Jesus, if you're in Christ Jesus... No matter how different you may be, no matter where you come from, no, ma no matter what your, your background or, or the ways others identify you, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you, not some of you, all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. And, and many would find this next, this next verse very highly offensive, I believe, in, in our day. But here's what Paul says. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. All, all that stuff you think that matters about your identity doesn't matter most. Here's what matters most. And Paul says, there's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. On the church's first birthday, this very international, diverse crowd is called together by God, and they become one in Christ Jesus. Almost impossibly, almost illogically, irrationally, against what they, they were brought up doing or believing, they become one in Christ Jesus. And it's God who makes them one. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. It's God who makes them one. As I was thinking of, of people becoming one, I couldn't help but think about my wedding day. January 7th. It was minus seven degrees on that day, but I was warm the whole day. I felt great. And here's what the Bible said happened on my wedding day with my wife. Two became one. I, I, I believe that. If you're married, two became one. One, it's, it's, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's the work of God. It, it's not something you did. It's what God has done for you. Here's something that I've learned about marriage since that day on January 7th. Uh, my wife and I are one. But if we don't do certain things together, daily, weekly, monthly, annually, though perhaps we say we're one, we don't feel like we're one. Uh, we're one, but, but we're having a hard time remaining one. And so what I'm trying to explain to you is what God works into your life, you have to work out in your life. God makes us one as one church, as one body of Christ, but there are things that we must do in order to remain one. And this idea of oneness, intimacy, Unity, 
The biblical word that describes these deep-seated friendships, this relationship that we have through the Holy Spirit with one another, is fellowship. The word fellowship in the Greek is koinonia, and koinonia literally means to hold in common. To, to hold in common. And, and though we are very different because we hold God in common, we can do life together. We can hold one another in common. We can have fellowship. We can be like a church family, a close-knit community. But it requires you and I to do certain things and to be a certain way. And if we don't do the work of fellowship, we'll lose the fellowship. So how do we work fellowship into our lives? I'm going to just give you four quick ways that, that we can, as we have been made one, we can be one. And then I'll just let you know why it's so important. First way is, you want fellowship? You must make yourself available. Available. Without availability, without you, there is no fellowship. Have you ever heard anyone say 90% of success in life is just showing up? What did you do so well that you were able to, to make it to this point? And, and the person will often tell you, well, well, it started because I showed up. You know, the, the first Christians, we see it in Acts chapter 2, and, and you can count the number of times it appears in our scripture reading, together. They were together. Every day they met together. They ate together. They broke bread together. They studied the Bible together. They were on mission together. They did life together. They made themselves available to other Christians. Here's what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. How can you spur your brother and sister in Christ on to love and good deeds? Here's what he says not to do. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Showing up is a habit. Do you know that not showing up is also a habit? Are you in the habit of showing up? Are, are you in the habit of showing up on Sundays? Are you in the habit of showing up for small groups? Are you in the habit of showing up to serve? Are you in the habit of showing up? Are you available? And we live in a society that celebrates workaholism. We exist in a church where we believe in the Ten Commandments, but you don't really have to take a Sabbath. A whole day to rest? What are you doing? You're being lazy. Get up and do something. Be productive. We, we live in a society that celebrates workaholism. We live in a society, in a region that demands radical commitments to hobbies and recreation. I have to tell you, I was one of those, one of those soccer kids. And, and while my parents still brought me to church on Sunday and I was involved, we were always off to soccer. Can I tell you that today, if, if you bring a soccer ball in, I don't, I don't care who you are, I don't know how much you practice, I I bet I can beat you in a juggling contest. I, I can still juggle a soccer ball. I think I can do it 500 times without dro dropping it. I haven't tried for years, but that's what I think. Do you know where that's gotten me? Nowhere. We, it's like there's this radical commitment to recreation and hobbies and sports. And what ends up happening is church gets squeezed out. Other Christians get squeezed out. God gets squeezed 
out. I didn't know that this was a word until I lived in New England. You all taught me this new word. I guess I knew it was a word, but I didn't know it was a verb. I heard people say this and I had to inquire. You, you all say summering? Summering? Someone said to me, I'm summering. And I asked them what it means. And ultimately, I came to the conclusion, it means you all disappear for the entire summer? Is that, is that correct? There's no fellowship without availability. There's no fellowship without you. And if we're unavailable, the, the bond that we experience with our fellow Christians is the same bond that we experience with the people we sit and watch a movie with at a movie theater. It's the same bonding that happens at the gym or in the grocery store. Fellowship requires availability. Second, fellowship requires authenticity. Many of you know that we lived in Philadelphia for, for a number of years. I, I lived in Philadelphia probably for 10 or 15 years throughout my life. And uh, as most of you know, I am a big New York football Giants fan. Uh, one, of our, one of my past church members, he had season tickets to the Eagles. He insisted on taking me to the Eagles game. It was a Monday night football game. Come on, I want to take you, Greg. I want to take you. And I was like, all right, fine, I'll go. I don't know about this, how this is going to work out. And I made a decision, an, uh, an executive decision on my own behalf, not to wear any Giants blue. I actually didn't want to be identified as a Giants fan in Eagle Stadium. And I, so I wore some neutral colors. And during the game, I, I have to be honest, I pretended to be an Eagles fan. I, I'm ashamed. But, but I, I pretended. And, and it was great. Um, it, it was hard because the Giants actually played great and they were scoring all these touchdowns. And so during the game, it's like Eli Manning's throwing a touchdown. And I'm like, no, wait. Like, I can't scream, can't celebrate. But the Eagles fans, they, the Eagles fans do this like no other fans. At halftime, they were so angry with their own team that they booed them. And so I could join them on that. Boo, right? And, and, and I have to tell you, I put on an act. They, they loved me. The, the person on the outside didn't match the person on the inside. I made friends with everyone in my section. How? I was being inauthentic. And by the way, being inauthentic, putting on an act, is really exhausting. When the first Christians gathered together, they were authentic. Twice in our passage, the scripture says they broke the bread. Sorry, the English doesn't say this. In the Greek, it does. They broke the bread. Not just bread together. They broke the bread. What, what that means, that's a reference to celebrating communion together. Before the first Christians took communion, they confessed their sins to one another. James, Jesus' little brother, says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so you may be healed. When they were together, they didn't hide things. This is what fosters fellowship. When they were together, they didn't hide their flaws. They didn't hide their struggles. They didn't hide their sins. They told one another about their secrets. In other words, they showed their true colors. If they were feeling blue, they showed their blue. If they were feeling green, they showed their green. They were authentic. They were authentic. Environments where we hide our sin are toxic. Relationships where we are inauthentic are lonely. You know why? The people don't really love you. They can't love you because they don't know you. They love the act. They love the person that you're pretending to be, but they don't love you because they haven't yet seen you. Fellowship demands, needs authenticity. Authenticity strengthens fellowship. 
number three. The third is generosity. Uh, and just so you know, I'm going to read from Acts 2.45. This was voluntary generosity. This is not communism. Uh, no one was saying you, you have to do these things, but there was a, they received the Holy Spirit, and now there's a generosity. Acts 2.45. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. When, when we're in fellowship when we get involved in other people's lives, we start to realize that we all need help. And sometimes what we realize is that there's people in our midst, they need financial health, help. They're, they're facing uh, a problem in their lives and it requires generosity. And often when we face life's challenges together, we are called to generosity. And one thing you know, if, if you've been called to generosity as you have been and you've experienced generosity, either you've received it or you've given it, there's a bond that develops. You know why? Because when, when you give at a sacrificial level and the person sees that you're willing to sacrifice for them, they experience that sacrificial love. They know this person doesn't just say they're for me. This person really is for me, right? There, there, there's a difference what, of, of, of saying, hey, I'm here if you need you, if you need me, and actually being generous, making the sacrifice. Fellowship leads us to generosity. Generosity strengthens fellowship. Here's the last one. The fourth is honesty. Honesty is the soil where fellowship grows. And here's how Paul puts the honesty that we're called to in fellowship. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. He says this, Instead, speaking the truth in love. He's not saying be all truth or all love. This is what he says. Speaking the truth in love we will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. You need Christians in your life who will speak truth in love. I need Christians in my life who will speak true truth in love. You know why? Well, while many of us may be experts in identifying other people's sins, we're often blind to our own sins. We need people to see things that we don't see. We need people who see the sin that is hurting us and encourage us to face the sin that is hurting us and others. And other people, they can see your sin. Trust me. Ask, ask who you came to church with today if, if you have any issues with sin. They can see your sin. And, and it takes courage. You have to understand, it takes courage for them to tell us about ourselves. And many people are afraid to speak truth in love because they're afraid of how we might react to them. Can I tell you the Christian reaction when, when someone speaks truth in love and points out your sin? I'll, I'll tell you the fleshly response. The fleshly response is to be offended. The, the, the fleshly response is to get out a mirror and hold it up so that they can see themselves. Oh yeah? Oh, well, well, I'm struggling this. What about blah, blah, blah? You, can I tell you when you're led by the Spirit, when someone points out your sin, what you do? Repent. You repent. You, you ask God to, to help you overcome your sin. But it's not just truth. It's truth in love. The key to speaking truth is doing it in love. Love people when you speak truth. Tell them it's hurting you to tell them. Say, this, this pains me to tell you. And I, I can tell you the, the difficult times we've been through in my household, in my family, and in my friend groups, when, when I've seen um, destructive and, and harmful sin patterns that are hurting the person in front of me that I love or hurting others, the times it's, it's worked out for me, and I'm, 
you can't control anyone's response. But the times I can tell you it's worked out for me is when I tell them the truth with tears in my eyes. When, when they can see it, that, that I'm just telling them this not to tear them down, but to lift them up. That I'm telling them this not to, not to make them feel bad or to, or to bring them under judgment, but because I love them and I want what's best for them. Honesty is the soil in which fellowship grows. And here's why it's so, so important. This is the last thing I promise. Here's, here's why it matters. Our, our purpose is to be Christ witnesses, right? To, to be in relationship with Jesus Christ, to know Christ here and here, and to show Christ to the world, right? We, to, to show the world who God is and who is God. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is community. God is three and God is one. God is, is singular. God is love. God is bonded. And so when you and I are a part of a cl close-knit Christian community, when, when we embrace the practice of fellowship, when we are willing to be available, authentic, honest, and generous with one another, you know who we're showing the world to? You, you know what our community looks like? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We accomplish our purpose. We are Christ's witnesses. So ask the Holy Spirit this week, what, what is it, Lord? Is it availability? Is it authenticity? Is it honesty? Is it generosity? Lord, where's the area that you would like me to grow in fellowship? And I want to grow in fellowship because I know that when our community grows in fellowship, we show the world who God is. May it be so on this day and forevermore. And we all say together as one people, amen.